evenings. And as I said, I want these Sunday evening series of lessons that we've been doing to be faith building. And so we talked about, we talked about the flood in Genesis in Noah's day. We talked about just more recently, uh, you know, that God is our strength. And I want us to begin to look at this particular series, Look Unto Jesus. Now again, I want these to be faith building series. On Sunday evenings, usually we kind of have a, uh, mostly members of the congregation with us, uh, but not always. We have visitors as well, and and uh, but maybe we get a little bit more, you know, focused on being a Christian on Sunday evenings and how we can grow in our faith. Keep emphasizing that Romans 10 and verse 17 tells us that faith is not mystical, it's not mysterious, it's not magical, it's not like a virus that kind of hits us and all of a sudden we catch it, but faith comes by hearing the word of God. Again, Romans 10 and verse 17. So as we study God's word on these really central, you know, central principles of Christianity, of faith in God, of faith in Jesus Christ, and in and, and faith in the Bible as being God's true word, then our faith can grow. Now, look unto Jesus. If there was ever a time in the history of our nation, now we could expand this to the whole world, I know, but we live here, we live in this country. And if there was ever a time when our nation needed to look unto Jesus, or maybe we could just say humanity as a whole needed to look unto Jesus, right now would be such a time. Things are going on that are extremely troubling and we're seeing basic faith in God and in Christ and Christian values in general being challenged right and left all the time. This is a time when people need to come to Jesus. They need to turn to, they need to look unto Jesus. But it has to begin, you know, we cannot, we cannot pass a law and tell everybody, you've got to read your Bible now for at least 30 minutes every day. Maybe an hour would be better. And that's not going to happen. We can't pass a law forcing people to say they believe in God, they believe in Jesus. We can't pass a law that requires people and holds them accountable for being at church services every single Sunday at the very least. And that's not going to happen and that's not the way to go. And that's not what is going to lead people, lead humanity, lead our nation to become more spiritually minded. It has to begin with each person, each person. Jesus spoke to individuals as well as to big crowds. And speaking from experience, you know, over many, many years, most of the time when you're talking about people becoming Christians, you're talking to one person at a time. You're studying God's word with one person at a time. And that's how you change people in general. That's how you change a culture. That's how you change a nation. Now these verses that we're gonna look at, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse one. And here the Hebrews writer wrote, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight which so easily ensnares us, the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the, uh, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now think about what the writer wrote there. We need to lay aside whatever hindrance might be holding us back from being truly dedicated to and focused upon our God, but also our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and Savior. So we need to stop and think. If there's sin in our life, that's holding us back. That's hindering us from walking with God and walking with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, effectively and consistently and faithfully. And so he says, lay that aside. Put that out of your life. Don't let the devil keep holding you back or even holding you down from living the Christian life that you should be living because he keeps throwing these really tempting temptations before you. Lay that aside, put it away from you. And how do we do that? How, how How do we overcome the devil's temptations to sin? Looking unto Jesus. When it says the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus brought the gospel message of salvation from the throne room in heaven to mankind here on earth. And also you get the idea there, he's waiting at the finish line for us to finish that life. Each one of us individually of faithfulness to him. Remember, it says looking unto Jesus. Now these these verses flow from the preceding chapter, chapter 11, which is often referred to as the Bible's hall of fame. And that particular chapter includes Old Testament accounts of, and they're just brief references to them, but Old Testament accounts of men and women noted for their great faith. They were examples to the rest of humanity until the Lord comes again, talking about Moses and Noah and so on, and Abraham and so on. Now, what what are we going through right now? We are bombarded incessantly all day long, every day with negative news. War, violence, hunger, disease, natural disasters, suffering, immorality, family breakdowns, uncertainty of all kinds, and on such a widespread scale. This world desperately needs to look unto Jesus. Now we hear the, the prognosticators, we hear the analysts, we hear the news media talk about what, what needs to be done, what can we do? And they start talking about government programs, they start talking about you know, uh, you know, uh, response in benevolent ways to help people who have gone through natural disasters. They talk about building up military uh, arsenals and so on, and all of those may be good in and of themselves, but the basic message we need to get and we need to take in and really live by, we need to look unto Jesus. We need to look unto Jesus. Each one of us face our own challenges, physical, health-wise, financial, relational. What do we do in the face of those? We need the wisest response we can take is to look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. He is God the Son. He is our Lord and Savior. Now, think of all, think of all 
the different reasons why we need to look unto Jesus. And we'll look at a number of those through this particular study. First, we need to look unto Jesus because the most basic reason is he's our Savior and our Lord. We need to look unto our Savior and Lord. The government is not going to save us eternally. The government's not going to give us a program that will get us to heaven. It's not going to happen. There's not going to be a military so strong that the military can shoot down the devil in all of his attempts to bring us down. Peter said he's like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he, whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. We need to look to Jesus. We need to get basic. And that is as basic as we can get. Look unto Jesus. In Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 13, the apostle Paul wrote, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Jesus came for a purpose. Mankind outside of Jesus is lost in sin. Now, we talked about this morning, what about all of those big religious groups that say they believe in God or they believe in something that they call deity? Sometimes it's not necessarily the true God, but they don't, even if they believe in the true God, they don't believe in Jesus as the Savior, as God the Son, as the Messiah come to earth. They don't believe in Jesus. Well, then you've got to discount all of those because the truth is what's going to set us free, Jesus said. Uh, John chapter 8 and verse 32. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. John 14 and verse 6. So we've got to get real, we've got to get basic, and we've got to get to where here is how I can deal. Here is how I can cope. Here is how I can overcome all that's going, around, going on around me. Here is how I can get through this and stay sane, but stay as a human being living with assured hope. I need to look to Jesus. I need to walk with my Lord. We need to look unto Jesus as our Savior. Well, his very name means Savior. When the angel was talking to Joseph, who would be his legal father, but not his biological father. He would be born of the Virgin Mary. She would be this biological mother, but Joseph would be his legal father from the Jewish law perspective. And so the angel was telling Joseph about what was going to happen with his wife, Mary, his wife-to-be. They were betrothed, but they weren't yet legally completely married. And so the angel said, she will bring forth a son, and you should call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. When you look at the literal meaning of that name, Jesus, it is Savior. That's what it means. And so his very name identifies him as our Savior. And then the angel went on and said, and he will save his people from their sins. We need to recognize that he is our Savior and our only Savior. At his physical birth into this world as a newborn baby, an angel appeared in the field before shepherds and told them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of, of great joy, which will be to all people. 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. He was announced at his birth, and he still had to go through the physical growing up period before he then embarked upon his ministry upon this earth. But even at his birth, he was announced as the birth of a Savior, our Savior. In John chapter 9, verse 56, notice what Jesus said. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, to save them. And they went to another village. Luke 19 and verse 10, Jesus speaking again, speaking of himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission to this earth, to come as the Savior and to call sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 5 and verse 32, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now he did at, at that particular point, he didn't go into the depth and detail of saying, and that's everybody alive here in this earth basically at this time. Because outside of Christ, there is no forgiveness. And so Paul wrote, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter three and verse 23 he said in verse 9 and 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. And so Jesus said, I've come to call the sinners to repentance. None of us can stand righteous before God outside of Christ. We needed and we still need the Savior. In Luke, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, we need to come to understand the depth and the centrality of the identity of Jesus as having come specifically as our savior. Paul wrote, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he added, of whom I am chief. I'm pretty sure Paul remembered many, many times after he became a Christian, after he was preaching the gospel, after he was trying to lead people to salvation through Jesus Christ, all of the horrible deeds he performed before he came to understand that Jesus is the Savior and the only Savior and the only way to God. He hunted down Christians. He persecuted Christians. He tried to compel them to blaspheme the name of Christ. He even voted for their execution on some occasions. Put them in chains, drag them back to Jerusalem to stand trial just for being Christians. I imagine there were times when tears flowed down his cheeks as he was thinking, maybe remembering faces, maybe even remembering names, remembering situations where he would break into someone's home and put them in bonds and dragged them back to Jerusalem to stand trial. How that must have haunted him for the rest of his life. But he recognized that he had been forgiven, that he had been forgiven because even though he was sincere in what he was doing, he said, I did it ignorantly, not knowing the truth. Well, in Romans chapter one and verse 16, it was Paul who wrote, 
Now he was a Christian. Now he was a gospel preacher. Now he was a divinely appointed apostle. And he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek. And then we look a little bit further in Romans 6 and verse 23. He said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Jesus brought that gospel message of forgiveness and redemption and salvation. He brought that to us because he came as our Savior. Remember that Jesus said in, in, in Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Remember what we read back there in Hebrews 11 verses 1 and 2? Talking about Jesus being the author or the one who brought us, who brought us the message of salvation, the author and finisher of our faith. He brought us the gospel message and there you get the imagery that he will be there on that final day of judgment to usher us into or pronounce us with eternal life as we have walked with him in faithful obedience on a consistent basis. He died on that cross, not because we deserved it, but because we needed him to die on that cross. There was no way that, that mankind could forgive himself all by himself, in and of himself. We needed a savior and we need a savior today. And that's what humanity needs. Think about all of the war, wars, all of the violence that's going on, the hunger, the hatred, the disease, the natural disasters, the suffering, the immorality that is all around us and in our face, the family breakdowns, and all of the uncertainty that we're facing right now in our country right here, we need the Savior. We need the answer. And that's Jesus Christ. He came to give us hope and assurance, not a wild wish, not an unrealistic dream, but remember what real hope is. It's the desire plus the expectation with confidence that it will be fulfilled. He died on that cross to save us from the condemnation of our sins. Paul wrote in Romans 5 in verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember he said, as we read earlier, he did not call them to call the righteous to repentance, but the, the sinners. He died on that cross for the sinful people of all humanity for all time, and that was basically all of humanity. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. Speaking of God, he said, for he made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin. And we read in Hebrews chapter four, the last couple of verses, that though he was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He lived a perfect life in a physical body while still fully divine. He is our 
ultimate example of righteousness. And so Paul said, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, when I refer to this particular verse, I frequently say, Paul was not saying that God made Jesus to become sinful or to become a sinner for us. No, that would be counterproductive and that would be impossible. But he made him to become sin for us. And what does that mean? He carried upon him himself, upon his physical body as he hung on that cross, nailed through both hands, nailed through both feet, with that mockery crown of uh, thrones pushed down upon his head. And let me tell you, if you look at the thorns that were probably used to form that crown in that part of the world in that day, they were not what we normally think of as little thorns in a rose bush, but they were massive by comparison, sharp and strong. And that thorn was undoubtedly pushed down upon his head, not only to mock him as being a king, but also to inflict pain and it would have cut into his skin and blood would have started tripling, trickling down his face. He suffered real pain on that cross, real pain. But the physical pain, I don't think could have compared to the idea, and I don't know how to really effectively completely get this, this understanding across. Here is God the Son. Here is deity. Here is the Savior, sinless, even in his physical form. And all of a sudden, and he knew at that moment while he was hanging on the cross that all of the sins of all of humanity for all time, including our time now and, in, and until he comes again on that final day of judgment, they were all hanging upon him. He was bearing all of that guilt. So we think sometimes, well, what is, what is really a despicable sin? All sin is despicable. Somebody says, you know, what about a white lie? Sometimes you've got to lie a little bit to save somebody's feelings. Uh, Revelation 21 verse 8 says, all liars shall find their, their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. And that's the second death, it says. In other words, it's a portrayal of eternal condemnation in hell. But think about all of the horrible, heinous sins that mankind in the persons of different individuals has committed. Murder, hatred, beatings, theft, some of the wars, well, the wars, certainly, but, but some of the things that people have done to other people. Some of the acts of murder have been, have been horrible, barbarous by comparison. Think about the Roman government and the military who would crucify hundreds and thousands of people. That particular culture of that day would impale people 
and then cover them with tar in some cases and set them up and then light them to be the lights in their, in their garden parties. Things that we would think about today and say, what in the world? How could anybody conceive of such a thing, much less perform it? But whatever the worst of the worst you can imagine, Jesus bore those sins upon himself on the cross. That ought to humble us. And that also ought to cause thankfulness to well up within us. Jesus did that for us. For us. We go a little bit further. Isaiah chapter 53. Beginning with verse 4. Surely, and this is a prophecy of the coming Savior, Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Even the ones who should have been most prepared and most on guard looking for the Savior to come rejected him by and large. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And then we move on to verse 6. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. He didn't die on that cross for himself. He died on that cross for you and me. He died on that cross for all of those that we hear reports about the terrible things that are going on in our country right now. He died for every single one of those. Not to excuse them in their continued sinfulness, but to pay the price for their sin if they would come to him, if they would look unto Jesus in repentance and change their life, turn away from the sin and are baptized into him for the remission of their sins. The perfect one time for all time sacrifice, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Hebrews 2 and verse 9, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels in that he took human form for the suffering of death. He knew when he came to this earth, we knew when he left the throne room in heaven, he was going to die on that cross physically. Crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone, for everyone. Then chapter 7, verse 27, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. The one time for all time, perfect sacrifice. Chapter 9, verse 28, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. 
to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time on that final day of judgment, apart from sin for salvation. And then Hebrews 10 and verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You get those images, you get the wording talking about he was offered as a sacrifice for us. If we want to overcome the evil that's all around us right now, if we want to help our people in this nation and people around the world come to the best life that they could possibly live, we need to help them see that they need to look unto Jesus. He is the solution. He is the answer. And he did all of that motivated by God's love. John 3, verses 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him that is in Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. God looked upon humanity in Noah's day. And the scripture tells us that for everybody, basically, the thoughts and imaginations of their heart was only evil continually. And God said, that's enough. And so he cleansed the earth of humanity and basically all living things with the exception of Noah and his family and the animals he sent into the ark to be spared, to repopulate the earth. The scriptures tell us in the New Testament that God's going to cleanse the earth again of, of all of the sinfulness, of all of the wickedness, but it's not going to be through a flood this time. It's going to be through fire. Peter talks about that in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. We read about that a number of times in the scriptures. But Jesus came to give us a chance. Jesus came to get us ready so that we don't have to fear that particular time. And that was motivated by God's love. He did not, when he looked upon humanity in the day that Jesus was born and see all of the wickedness that was there, and it was profound, believe me, and widespread. Instead of destroying the world at that time, he sent his son to die on that cross. 1 John 3 and verse 16, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our life, our lives for the brethren. And then in 1 John 4 and verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. There is no greater, more compelling reason for us to look unto Jesus than the fact that he is our savior. That's basic, fundamental, bottom line. We need to understand that. If we can understand that, then we can admit to ourselves, I need to look unto Jesus. I need to turn to my Lord and savior. If we can't get that basic fact down, then we're not going to be convinced to look to him, look unto him for any other reason. Because he's the savior. And that's bottom line. We need to grab onto that understanding 
and let that motivate us to come to our Lord and Savior. The most compelling reason for us to look unto Jesus is the fact that he is our Savior. And as our Savior, he calls us to come to him. Matthew 11, beginning with verse 28, he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for our souls. How we need that, don't we? Do you need rest for your soul? Do you need to come to Jesus as your Savior? Repenting of your sin, confessing your faith in him openly as God's Son and your Lord and Savior? And being baptized into him for the remission of your sins so your sins can be cleansed by the blood that he shed on the cross? We encourage you to take that step if that's where you are. If you need the prayers of the church, we encourage you to let us know, either by stepping forward or talking with us privately. Because in prayer, we can go to God on your behalf through our Savior, Jesus Christ, in his name. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing?